The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. You are listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio, and we're happy to be with you here each week. Happy Memorial Day weekend. We all want everyone to have a great kickoff to the summer weekend. So my weekly musing involves my new neighbor. As you know, I told you, many of you, I moved into a new neighborhood. So I was talking to my neighbor the other day, and her cat jumped into my yard. The cat scaled this high fence and decided to enjoy a walk through my soon-to-be landscape garden. As you can imagine, I was really perturbed, but I wanted to maintain a nice relationship with my neighbor, so I had to really relax my face and continue to be kind. But I just happened to mention to her that when the dogs completely move into the house, her cat in my yard is going to be a bit problematic. So I told her that I also have an indoor cat, And that I don't want her cat peeing in my yard or my cat peeing in my house to mark. Because that happens a lot when their cats seeing each other or know their new cats in the neighborhood. The indoor cats a lot of times will tend to mark in the house, especially around the doors or the windows. Um, And this happens a lot uh, when there's a neighborhood full of cats. You know, trust me when I tell you it was really hard for me to be nice about it. Don't get me wrong. You know, I love my pets. But I don't like irresponsible pet owners, and especially ones that really don't pay attention to their cats. Well, wouldn't you know it, the other night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, my ring floodlight cam went off, waking me up. And guess who the perpetrator was? The next door cat. So what did I do? What did I do, Dr. Fleck? I asked you for your advice, correct? Yes, you did. And? After our lengthy discussion... Yes, we did. (laughs) I decided to say nothing. That was a good choice. Right. Because they're moving soon. But really, what I decided to do is just collect the videos of her cat walking through my yard. So I have a few now. So if the cat continues to wake me up, I will show her the three or four videos that I have of her cat running through my yard at night, kicking off the floodlight cam waking me up and i'll just wait and see what happens if it continues i'll say something but then again they're moving in about a month or so so we'll see so if you guys have any advice for me (laughs) i suggest that you email me at team at the pet buzz or tweet me or post on facebook i am interested in what you have to say and one thing i realize is fences are important And no matter how it is, it always seems like some cat can always scale over a fence. They're very capable. They are very capable. But now let's start the show with the weekly countdown. Say it with us. Four. Four. Okay. In segment four, University of Wisconsin, Dr. Peter Halfman is joining us to discuss a new study about transmission of COVID-19 in domestic cats. In segment three, cat expert Beth Edelman and dog trainer Amy Robinson are discussing prepping our pet for when we have to go back to work. And in two, need a dose of celebrity pets? 
I'm going to give it to you. And in Flex Facts, learn more about anal sex. It's a stinky subject, but somebody's got to talk about it. And in segment one, since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, we invited Dr. Alan R. McConnell, University Distinguished Professor and Chair of the Department of Psychology at Miami University, to join us to talk about how pets contribute to mental health awareness. Good morning, Dr. McConnell, and thank you so much for joining us on the Pet Buzz today. My pleasure. So what role do pets play in our happiness, health, and well-being? Uh, well, we've been search and researching this question for about 15 years in our lab, and uh, our findings and a lot of other findings that exist in the literature show that they really play an important role, that they support our mental health, they support our physical health. Uh, we develop kind of close relationships with them, and those close relationships seem to have a lot of the same characteristics as our human relationships. You know, it's interesting because I read that you've done three or four studies uh, extensive studies on, on this topic and how specifically how pets contribute to human mental health. Can you talk to us about some of your research and what your studies revealed? Uh, yeah, so we've done a variety of studies. Some of them are just correlational. Some of them are experiments in our lab. So just as a couple examples, uh, we followed people who visited a pet shelter who were thinking about adopting a pet. And two months later, we followed up with the people who did adopt a pet and we found that those people two months later had uh, lower depression and higher self-esteem uh, following pet adoption. We brought people into the lab and we've had them uh, think about a time in their life when they were sad or socially rejected and then gave them an opportunity to write for five minutes about their pet or to write for five minutes about their best friend or in a control condition, draw a map of campus. And the people who were able to reflect on their pet for five minutes after the rejection experience had just a positive affect as the people who reflected on their best friend. So following a rejection experience, it seems like your pet can be just as effective as your best friend in terms of kind of offsetting that negativity. You know, that's actually really, really interesting because especially now, right, Dr. Right, Fleck, when right. so many of us are stuck inside, we haven't <laughs> been able to go outside. You know, some states are opening up, but one of the things that's really helped us is our pets. Can you talk a little bit about that and this isolation, I think, that we're experiencing? Yeah, I think, you know, our research suggests that we develop these relationships with our pets. And really, the kind of primary glue of that is anthropomorphism. So it's basically the idea that if we view our pets as being supportive and as being empathetic and as having kind of this emotional connection with us, to the degree that we anthropomorphize our pets more, we get greater health and well-being benefits from them. So it would make sense that in a time when we have less contact with people, have fewer opportunities to have human social interactions, that our pets can provide those functions because we do build these really tight bonding relationships with them. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned anthropomorphizing because <laughs> as uh, I went out the other day, I was excited to go out to uh, my jam, TJ Maxx and Marshalls. I picked up uh, two sweatshirts. I know, I know. Yeah. No judgment here. <laughs> thank you very much doctor uh as i'm thinking of, is he going to start analyzing my behavior but you know it's funny when we you know i stop at like a t-shirt or a sweatshirt but then we see you know the full kabbalah remember dr Fleck? Oh, we, sure. went to, we went to a party dr Fleck is a guy's guy and likes football and everything we went to a party one night around westminster and some of the non-Westminster dogs were all dressed up in gowns, right, mm. Dr. Fleck? Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, it's kind of like pets are the new Barbie dolls to a certain extent. Any comments? Uh, well, I mean, we just see it all the time, whether it's, you know, people with bumper stickers talking about that their grandkids have paws and fur and things like that. I think we really view pets as part of family. And some of our research, we've explored that particular element of it. So some people really view their pets as key members of their family, just like uh, any other human being. And we find that when people have that attitude toward their pets, uh, they get greater health and well-being benefits from them. And to the extent that they view them as stronger members of the family, they anthropomorphize them more. So the idea that you would maybe buy clothes or, you know, put your pet in a family portrait, I think really kind of captures this idea that these pets are more than just companions, but they're actually members of family for, for many, many people. Boy, I see that every day as a practicing veterinarian. You know, as people come in, we can see how much they're identified as partners in their family. But since COVID-19 hit, oh my gosh, they're terribly part of the family now. Yeah, my wife and I, we're actually kind of we're both working at home right now. We're both interested in wondering how our dog is going to respond when someday we go back to regular work. You know, I'm laughing because you're going to find out in our next <laughs> segment. So this is the perfect transition, your question. We have cat expert and author Beth Edelman and mm-hmm. Amy Robinson, who's a dog trainer, and they are going to talk about just this, how you prepare your pet for the transition of going back to work. So thank you so much, Dr. McConnell, for joining us today. To learn more about Dr. Alan McConnell, visit alanmcconnell.net. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss celebrity gossip and flex facts. And of course, later in the show, we're talking with Dr. Peter Halfman about his new research involving the transmission of the novel coronavirus in domestic cats. We'll be right back. More of the buzz real soon. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. I want to be a contender. I want a warm belly to sleep on. A big house. How do I look? Do, do I look good? I want to play hard. My nails done. Once a month. I want. I want. I want a home. I just want a home. I want someone to love. Last year, more than 30,000 companion animals came to us without homes. 20,000 of them were felines. Let's make some homes. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. I love two things, sports and my dog Chester. Where I go, he goes. To the beach, to play soccer, everywhere. We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddies can be with me for a long time. Thanks, EpiPet. 
Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning. This show was hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm pet Charlotte Reed. I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Okay, so there's lots of notable pet news to cover today. So let's start out with the politics of it all. It seems that Steve Linick, the State Department Inspector General, who was recently fired, was allegedly investigating whether Secretary of State Mike Pompeo made a staffer walk his dog. So you know what I did for this show to prep because I wanted to talk about this? I got out my book, the Miss Vital Manners book of pet etiquette, and I wanted to read something from it. And this is very short. It says, although everyone might like your dog at the workplace, recognize that he or she is your responsibility. Don't ask your assistant secretary or junior associate to take care of him. Your subordinate might feel obligated to take care of your pet for the day, but acknowledge that dog care is not part of his job description. Wouldn't you agree, Dr. Fleck? Yeah, but you know, most people really like pets. And I'm just surprised that somebody is complaining about Taking care of well, it's not only the dry cleaning for. This is an alleged situation. We don't really know what happened, true, and we don't want to give anybody, you know, the wish anyone bad luck. Okay, let's party with Kelly Rip, a host of ABC's Live with Kelly and Ryan. Celebrated her dog Chewy's birthday last weekend by posting pics on Instagram. Chewy is ninety-one years old and still has most of her teeth. So we want to say happy Sweet 16 to Chewy Consuelos. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers. I want the truth. It's going to take long. You got the time. And now Flex Facts. But before we get started, Dr. Fleck, I definitely want to congratulate you and the EpiPet team for being recommended by Good Housekeeping Magazine summer must haves that is a huge score so lots of applause to you why thank you thank you thank you i'm so glad that they are exposing our product because it's so needed for pets especially during the summer they get sunburn they get skin cancer just like people so you need to protect them and of course ours is the only fda approved sunscreen for pets Absolutely. And just so everybody knows, if you go to the EpiPet website, that's epi-pet.com, you buy the sunscreen, you will get a 25% discount by using the code THEPETBUS. How great is that? Well, that's a great idea. Now, if you have a problem with the code, don't fear. Just call the company. You'll end up getting Dr. Flex daughter Danielle on the phone and you tell her you listen to the pet buzz and that you want your 25%. So, so don't forget, protect yourself and protect your pet Great. from those excessive sun rays. Okay. Which are really bad for you. Okay. And now for the topic at hand, or is this the case? The butt. So I have to tell you. So last night, Hammy Jones, or I like to call him HJ, his real name is Walsingham. Well, he's an English toy spaniel. You know, we all have our little names for our pets. While Hambone was scooting his butt across the carpet, 
So I want to talk about anal sacs today. So Dr. Fleck, here is the $100 question. What is an anal sac? Anal sacs are two small pouches, one on either side of the anus. Okay. They are vestigial organs, which means they had a function before we domesticated our pets. And now all they are is a pain in the butt. They produce a very odorous liquid. Small amounts are released every time the animal poops. Okay. The stinky substance is likely used to mark territory and scare predators off. Think of a skunk, which you smell. Okay. But I don't want that (laughs) on my carpet. Okay. No, 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 no. Do some dogs have problems with anal sacs? Yeah, it can become a medical problem, but most of the problems have been disappearing over the last decades, probably because of the diet. But there is no specific breed, color, or size that is predisposed to problems of the anal sacs. So for no apparent reason, some pets have a problem, some do not. Dogs are much more frequently affected than a cat. Oh, cat, cats can have anal sac Cats can have too? that problem too. Okay. As a consequence, they became very full or impacted. So what does that mean? Well, most dogs express themselves when pooping, but if they're not, a dog needs routine veterinary visits to empty his anal sacs. Well, how do you do that? It's a very disgusting sort of procedure. But the anal sac emptying, because it's so disgusting, or the expressing of it, is a job not for the groomer, but it's a medical procedure and should be done only by the veterinarian. Okay. What, I mean, so it can be dangerous then. It can become very dangerous. It can become okay. abscess, become an infection, affect the whole individual. So what if dog needs more advanced treatment for anal sacs? What what, what's, tell us about that. Well, in some cases, it gets so, so bad that anal sacs might need to be surgically removed. Oh. And that is a delicate procedure, which poses a few risks. But I have a question first. Sure. Do people have anal sacs? No. Oh, okay. Thank goodness. <laughs> now, people don't stinky. People won't be dragging their carpets, their butts on the carpet. No. Okay, so talk about the risk. Well, of the you know, sack. there's a small risk of infection. Okay. Although the area is thoroughly scrubbed or prepped before surgery, um, you know, working towards right around the anus is not exactly the most sterile procedure. Yeah. So, in addition, the content of the anal sacs is filthy and full of bacteria and other pathogens. Okay, so that's what makes it really. delicate and difficult to work there. Okay. Yeah, and there's a small risk of future problems if the entire sac is not removed. Even if a tiny piece is left behind, it might cause delayed infection that might lead to drainage. Pus and other secretions can constantly ooze through a small hole in the skin near the anus. This may require even a second surgery to remove the drainage tract or other procedures that the surgeon might recommend. And I bet it's really stinky if you have that draining problem. Oh, once you smell this, you don't want to go back. Oh, gosh. Okay, Mm -hmm. and then what else? What other problems? Well, there's a small risk of incontinence, you know, where they can't control relieving their, their stools. So when a dog is incontinent, defecates just about anywhere without even being aware of it. So continence is controlled by specialized muscles called the anal sphincters. In fact, there are two anal sphincters, one on the inside and one on the outside. 
So the anal sacs are located, unfortunately, between the external and internal sphincter muscles. So in order to remove an anal sac, there is no choice. We must cut into the sphincter, hence the risk of incontinence. If the thin muscle is not sutured perfectly well at the end of the surgery, you may end up with that incontinence. Ugh. This sounds like a really stinky and smelly topic. It's really stinky and smelly. But you smelly. know what? So many people have this problem. So many people tell us that their dog is scooting across the carpet. Scooting, looking back at the back end, licking the back right, end. exactly. And sometimes it, the dog itself gets smelly. So that's when you have to go to the vet. Okay, anything else? That's all the flex facts for the week. That's enough. Oh, the Flex Facts for the week. Stick around. More of the pet buzz very soon. Next up, prepping our pets when we go back to work. Coming up, Global Pet News. Seems as if the initial plan to sniff out COVID-19 patients with the UK's medical detection dogs has gone live. Learn more about that later in the show. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? I love animals and want my pets to be healthy. So I asked our vet who recommended EpiPet Ear Cleaner. It's super simple. And it even smells good. Every week I use it on both my dog and my cat to gently remove wax and debris. I even told my friend Aiden to try EpiPet on his dog Sophie, who always had red ears. But not anymore. Now we both have happy and healthy pets. Thanks, EpiPet. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And again, I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. So let's talk about my I likey of the week. Let's do it. That's the way it has to be. That's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. My I like it of the week is about pet cleaning. You know, pets are really messy and the floors get dirty, especially in my house because there's so many of them. But and in my house, I have these huge blocks of creamy colored tile. The real problem is that where I live, the dirt is really sandy. And I'm vacuuming up the sandy, but I still have to clean up the dirty floor. So I found a new jam. I found a new pet jam. It don't laugh. It's one of those as seen on TV products. It's the Mop Genie. From hardwood floors to tile, the Mop Genie has you covered. That's what the website says. The simple and easy to use mop and bucket set are ideal for cleaning kitchen floors, which I have, the family room, which I have. The simple and easy to use mop and bucket are ideal for cleaning the kitchen floor, family room hardwoods, 
or bathroom tiles. The mop features a microfiber mop head that's super absorbent and machine washable for easy care. All true. The mop bucket delivers a powerful centrifugal action that moves water away from the clean, dry mop. So basically, the dirt and the dirty water, they just wish away from the mop. Spinning like a, a flying saucer. Yeah. So here's the best part. Both products cost 10 bucks at BigLots.com. Trust me when I tell you it's great for cleaning up after so many pets. With so many of us at home, our pets have been our almost constant companions. But now things are changing. Some of us are going back to work and slowly returning to what they call the new normal. But that can pose some challenges for our four-legged family members. So joining us today to discuss how to transition our pets from quarantine mode to the new normal is author and cat behaviorist Beth Annelman and dog trainer Amy Robinson. Both of these ladies are good friends to the show, and we're going to give you a big welcome back. So, Amy, do you think our dogs who are pack animals will suffer when we go back to work, and how can we prepare them? Well, I think if you have been constantly cuddling your dog on the sofa while you binge watch your favorite TV shows and then all of a sudden you take an eight-hour workday, your dog is going to be pretty surprised and not happily so. Like cats, they do like a routine. They'd like to know what to expect. So I would start gradually. Start practicing now before you have to go back to work. Use your weekend days and, you know, do a two-hour absence. Do a four-hour absence. And prepare your dog for the eventual, you know, eight, nine, ten hour workday. That being said, you may need to employ a dog walker to make up for that gap. Or actually bring back your dog walker who probably lost your business. And really kind of, I guess you're saying get back on that schedule, right? Yeah. And dogs more than cats really, and, you know, Beth, correct me if I'm wrong, but dogs more than cats, I think, like a little bit of change. They like to have an adventure but they don't want it to be totally different every single day. Okay. Beth, tell us. I mean, same thing for, what about our cats? Cats do like novelty, but they don't like big changes. And so novelty can mean a different toy, the food in a different place, thing, you know, a new game, but they don't like huge changes. I think Amy had it right in that the best thing to do is to start the schedule now. So that means, you know, going back, if you had them on a regular feeding schedule before and now you're kind of dispensing things all day, go back to the regular feeding schedule that you're going to use when you're at work. Um, I think you also need to get them on a play schedule so that they get used to playing with you in the morning and evening and in the middle of the day when you will be away that, that you're no longer available. So they get used to that activity schedule. Cats are really good at adjusting their activity levels to work with your activity levels. And so if you start getting them used to interactive periods morning and evening and the feeding schedule that you're going to use when they're away, that's going to really, really help. Okay. So really go back to your schedule. Well, if you just joined us, we're talking to author and cat expert Beth Edelman and dog trainer Amy Robinson about prepping your pet for when you go back to work. Okay. So I'm curious. And this is not only when we're going back to work. This is in general, and a lot of people don't think about this. Beth, how can we keep our feline friends or feline family members happy when they're alone? What should we do to keep them busy when we're at work, when we're out of the house? And that's a great question, and it it, it is apropos all the time. Cats do like novelty. 
And so what I try to do with my cats when I leave the house, when I'm gone all day, is I try to leave something new and different every day. Um, so some days I take out a tunnel and I put it away when I come home. Some days I take out a paper bag and throw a handful of catnip in it. I have a cupboard in my kitchen that's empty and I prop it open just a little bit. And every day I put something different in there, a toy, a treat, a catnip, a, a fuzzy item so that my cats can go explore, find that item and play with it. So it's something new every day. I also leave food toys for my cats during long periods because cats do need to eat several times a day and a long gap is actually not healthy for them. So I leave food for them in toys. You can, there's many toys for that dispense cats that you can purchase. I don't mean something that just opens on a timer. I mean something they have to manipulate and figure out to get their food. You can also hide food in different places around the house so that they have things to do during the day. Great. And Amy, what about our dogs? What should we do when they're home alone? Well, I think that, you know, they're going to sleep a lot. Um, I don't know how much you want them exploring in your cabinet. Sometimes they can get a little feisty with, you know, boxes and such. Although I love what she said about, you know, having them discover their environment. So I think if you need to confine your dog, you can do a little bit in that environment. So if you have a, a pen or a crate, you can put a specific puzzle toy in there. But I would like to see it change up every day. Maybe a little different treat in there for them to find and discover. Um, also, if there's any separation anxiety involved at all, you can calm your dog with some, I go to YouTube and search for calming music for dogs. They have station upon station that goes for 10 hours and it's, you know, I turn it on and I'm, my eyes are drooping. So it works really well. Um, herbal remedies can work well too. So I think that the confinement, personally, I believe in confinement when you're away. I know a lot of dogs get away with just sleeping on the sofa all day. But for me, I'd like to keep them out of trouble. And there's also great new toys. I mean, you can confine your dog, but great new toys. There's also tech toys that I think are good. You mentioned the puzzle toys. Um, I think you can rotate it. I mean, I think one of the things we all, and I'm sure both of you ladies will agree, we all acquire all these toys that eventually our dog stops playing with it. Do, does our dogs, our dogs stop playing with them because they're there all the time? I just love what Beth said about play schedules. I think people forget that you can't just take a new toy and go here and throw it on the ground and your dog's like, yay, for three minutes. But really what your dog wants is that personal engagement with you. So you can take an old toy out of the closet that he hasn't seen in six months, tie a, tie a leash to it and drag it around the house. And all of a sudden you have interactive play. Um, and you're, oh, you're basically advice. doing animal enrichment, which is what Beth is doing with her cats when she's allowing them to discover new things in the environment. Then I think that's enriching mentally and physical for, for both species. Beth, I'm going to end it with you because Amy brought up a good point. She talked about separation anxiety. Do cats have separation anxiety, and what can we do about it? They do, and it's something that's very much under-recognized. So just very quickly, some signs of separation anxiety. Vocalization, not eating when you're not at home, not using the litter box, vomiting, excessive grooming, destructive behavior, or really crazy over-exuberant greeting when you get home. Those are all signs of separation anxiety in cats, and it is very under-recognized. Giving your cat plenty to do and then also creating a lot of routine and structure in the day so that the cat knows these are the times when you're away, these are the times when you're home. When you're away, interesting things are going to happen in the house. 
you're always going to come home at about the same times and you're always going to engage the cat as soon as you come home. All of those things can be really helpful. You know, ladies, I thank you so much for being here. In these unprecedented times, well, everyone, that was Amy Robinson, dog trainer extraordinaire, and Beth Edelman, cat behaviors, who I have to say is a big mentor of mine. You can find more about Amy at amyrobinsondogexpert.com, and Beth Edelman can be reached at her new website, which I love, by the way, which is bethedelman.wixit, that's W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com. Up next, a new study reveals interesting info about COVID-19 transmission in cats. Be right back. Stay tuned. More of the Pet Buzz. You are listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, visit www.epi-pet.com. I'm petronologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We are urban, suburban, and and country. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. You know, a few weeks ago, we had Dr. Claire Guest, the CEO of the UK Medical Detection Dogs. She visited with us and talked about her plans for training her special pack of uh, dogs to sniff out COVID-19. Well, to start the program, she talked about she needed money, like all programs, they need money. Well, the UK government is funding her project with a $612,000 trial grant to uh, set the trial in motion to see if her six medical detection dogs can sniff out the virus before symptoms appear. So it seems that Durham University scientists have started the research to see if the biodetection dogs can become new rapid testers for COVID-19. The first step is to collect odor samples from London hospital staff with and without COVID-19, according to Dr. Steve Lindsay at Durham University. The way they're going to do this is by collecting face masks. So they're going to ask people to wear these face masks for a few hours, and then they're going to carefully collect them and, and use them. That's what Lindsay says. So researchers are also going to use healthcare workers to wear nylon socks. It sounds kind of strange, but They say, uh, or Lindsay says that they know from previous experience, this is a really good way of collecting odors from people and it's a really easy way to do it. So if the training is very successful, dogs will be the first deployed at airports where canines are already used to sniff out drugs and other contraband. So dogs can screen up to about 250 people an hour, according to the medical detection organization. So if the trial is successful, these dogs could provide a fast and non-invasive 
detection method for COVID-19. I think this is going to be great. I think we're going to see it sooner than later. And also the University of Pennsylvania is doing their working dog study too. So I think we're going to see COVID-19 sniffer dogs here as well as across the pond. Got to bring on our next guest who is holding on the phone. In a study published earlier in the month in the New England Journal of Medicine, scientists here in the U.S. and in Japan report in the laboratory, cats can readily become infected with SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, and may be able to pass the virus to other cats. Joining us today is veterinarian Dr. Peter Halfman of the University of Wisconsin to share his study. Good day, Dr. Halfman, and welcome to the Pet Buzz. Thanks for having me. So please tell us about your recent study, including the testing protocols. So I know you guys heard of the stories of human-to-cat transmission of COVID-2. So we wanted to look at the next potential step in this transmission chain. So our focus, so we focused on cat-to-cat transmission of the virus, and we actually looked at the amount of infectious virus we could isolate from the nasal swab of these cats. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the study, because I think people don't really know about the study. So why don't you tell us about, I mean, tell us about the study. So the COVID that you injected the pets with came from humans, correct? So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so we have a isolate that we um, got from the University of Wisconsin Hospital. Uh, It's a well-characterized virus that came from a human patient. Uh, The patient had a very uh, mild disease. So we have that stock of virus, and we internasally infected three of these cats with that virus. Okay. And then they, in turn, were other cats that weren't infected were put in the cages, correct? That's correct. And then you wanted to see if the transmission from the infected cat could pass to the cat that wasn't infected. So That's correct. How fast would that happen? And how fast did it happen, Dr. Hoffman? The transmission occurred as early as two days after we introduced those cats together and sometimes as late as five days. Um, so it was fairly easy and it happened in all three pairs. The interesting thing was we never saw any kind of signs of infection. We never saw any fever, no nasal discharge, no coughing or no sneezing. But the amount of virus that we saw shedding from these animals was similar to the amount of virus we see shedding in humans. That was kind of like where I was going to ask you the next question about the serotype, the serotype then was the same serotype that came from the humans as it is in Correct. the cat? Okay, great. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So we have we have one strain circulating, and it's the same strain here that we use in the cats that we're seeing in humans. So what did the study reveal, and, and how can it benefit cat owners? So if someone is sick in your house, a human is sick, Pet owners or cat owners particularly should be aware of the fact that this virus could be transmitted to their cats and you're not going to see any kind of signs of illness in your cat. And that might be fine if your cat is healthy, but I know I have a cat that has an immunodeficiency. So that population of cats that are immunodeficient could be a lot more susceptible to disease, just like what we see in humans. Yeah, that's what I was really kind of curious about and I've asked. I mean, we've been conducting COVID interviews for weeks. I've been in touch with people who actually worked on the Pomeranian, the original Pomeranian, the Sierra Lankan uh, virologist who works at University of Hong Kong, as well as folks in Brussels. So for us, we were curious if, you know, how COVID-19 affects humans. It generally affects, we've seen a lot of older people affected and dying from the virus. So we didn't know if age 
or sex played a role in this. But obviously, you're telling us that autoimmune. Yeah. If your cat might have an autoimmune deficiency in it, like I have a cat with FIV, um, I would hate for my cat to get this virus. So you're talking about pre-existing conditions, which could even be more than autoimmune. Exactly. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking to Dr. Peter Halfman about transmission of COVID-19 in domestic cats. So, you know, one of the things that I always thought was really interesting, I guess, you know, in looking at all of these scenarios and all of these situations, that your the cats that you tested didn't have symptoms. That was very different than the cat in Brussels who had respiratory as well as diarrhea or GI problems. And then one of the cats in one of the homes in New York, so you guys, we talked about, our listening audience knows that we've talked about the two incidents in New York State where one cat um, had caught COVID from the owner. And then they they think, and that the other cat in the home didn't get it. It was the second scenario. The first scenario, the cat ended up having COVID, but nobody in the house had COVID. They think the cat had contact with someone who was, who either came to the house, who was asymptomatic or got it from interacting with perhaps another human outside of the home. So I thought that was interesting that your cats didn't have any symptoms. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And then also with the outdoor cats too, do they have a do they have a parasite disease or infection that could be making the COVID nineteen infection worse? So um, there's a lot of variables here that you know we can't all test for. And in human in human nature, the nature is the best kind of uh, laboratory there is out there. One of the reasons we've been just covering COVID, obviously, we're a, we're a new show. I mean, we think of ourselves as a pet news show before we're anything else. But it's interesting to compare and to contrast what people are doing all over the world. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, you know, obviously, in the first cases scenarios, people were wondering if this was a fomite, you know, transmission when the Pomeranian got it. And then, you know, obviously he died soon after and the owner wouldn't let him be autopsied. I mean, um, we also recognize that, you know, the AVMA and the World Health Organization didn't really want to comment. Maybe that, you know, the big picture was, you know, they didn't want to scare people. They didn't want to commit, you know. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Very, very helpful will be a beginning of conversation and narrative for all of us veterinarians and pet owners. That's great. Well, everyone, that was veterinarian Dr. Peter Halfman of University of Wisconsin discussing his recent study about COVID-19 transmission in domestic cats. And as you know, it's too soon. It's always too soon to wrap up the show. Right, Dr. Fleck? It's always too soon. But a great way to wrap it up with Dr. Halfman. Yeah. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. So, Dr. Fleck, it's always too soon to wrap the show. But before we go, we want to talk about next week's show. What do we got for next week? Next week, we're talking about spring gardening and how it can affect our pets, the return of the Florida Blue Bee, and maybe more. And there's always more because there's always so much pet buzz around. And I'm going to do your special thanks. So, special thanks to Dr. Alan McConnell. Amy Robinson, Beth Edelman, and Dr. Peter Halfman. And of course, we have to thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. 
So if you have any questions, write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll cover it on next week's show. Of course we will. And if you yeah. missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channels and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. But most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pet. Peace out and pet love. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.